0: And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest.
1: Hello again, everyone. This is Brett Ridgeway, and welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking show, where each week I will be interviewing an industry pro, asking them to share their speaker's journey, share some tips to success that they've. Garnered along the way, and also ask them to bear their soul a little bit and share some mistakes they made along the way. So hopefully you can avoid those same mistakes. Now, my guest today is a gentleman I've known for at least 20 years, but Fred Leek has been a professional speaker for just under 40 years. He started by doing his own self-promoted seminars in the early 1980s. In the 90s, Fred then did a stint for a number of years with Career Track, which at the time was the largest seminar production company in the world, and he's also been invited to speak on platforms of some of the biggest seminar producers. Since then, about 12 years ago or so, Fred switched up his model. After doing infomarketing boot camps at his place in Las Vegas, he realized the only way to get real results was to partner with the subject matter experts who were attending his events. Fred now works exclusively with subject matter experts in equity share relationships that he calls dynamic equity integration. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show, my friend Fred Gleek. Good to see you, Brett. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been so long, Fred, and, you know, I think we probably met maybe at a Michael Penland event initially back in maybe Atlanta or something in in, in the early 2000s or whatever. And Definitely. He, or, or before. Well, possibly, possibly. Yeah. And you actually did something there that I, I have never seen any other speaker do, which was, you know, the event promoter was, for whatever reason, uncomfortable with, MC in his own events, so you took over his MC and responsibilities, if
2: I remember. Oh, I thought that's the one where I dropped my pants. Sorry, that's a different <laughs> one. Was that the mistake you're going to share later on? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
2: so you've been at yeah, of- no, I, I, I do remember. I do remember that. Yeah, I I, I filled in for Michael as he uh, preferred not to be the host, and that's something that comes pretty easily and naturally to me. Well, it was a great idea because it obviously gave you a lot more
1: face time with the audience and a chance to build better rapport and all that. So, you know, if you are a speaker, I would encourage you to be able to have that ability to step in and provide that type of service if need be. But let's get into your speaking journey a little bit, Fred. I mean, you've been at this game a long time. So what even prompted you to enter the world of the speaking business, so to speak?
2: Well, before becoming a speaker, uh, you know, I went to grad school, got a master's in international management. As you know, I'm here in Manila right now because I grew up here. Uh, But I started working for a bunch of Fortune 500 companies out of graduate school, got fired five times in a row, and there seemed to be (laughs) be unanimous agreements I should be self-employed. So what led me to become a speaker was the fact that, you know, I was both unemployable and I realized I wasn't a good fit for the corporate game. And given that my parents didn't wouldn't pay for me to get my theater degree back then, I had both my undergraduate and graduate degree in training in business. So I decided to combine my theater interest with my business background. And I always considered what I did as a speaker to be business theater.
1: Hmm. I never thought it in those terms, but I, I was talking with, uh, I think it was Mike Canning's the other day. He said he had was having a conversation with Tony Robbins. And Tony told him that 80% of what he does is entertainment and 20% is content because he goes so hard and long at people that he, he feels like entertainment is a critical part of that. So I'm, I'm sure that as part of your theater background that you rolled some
2: entertainment component into what you're doing in some way. I did, but mine, as I think I see from some of the pre-show questions you fed my way, um My background in doing improv comedy has been very, very helpful. And that's probably why, you know, I can do the entertaining, but do the entertaining without a script. So I'm sort of like trying to do, make it fun and make it interesting and pack it filled with content. But at the same time, you know, be able to flow and go with the audience as things come up. And, you know, I've had things, you know, people in the kitchen crashing dishes and stuff and having to, <laughs> you know, play off of that, but it's, it's all part of the game. So how did you decide what topic or topic did you would really tackle as a speaker when you first got started? Yeah. Um What happened was I started, you know, pretty early on, right out of grad graduate school, my first thing I did is I picked a topic, of course, that uh, I had no experience in, because that's what you should always do. Um, <laughs> I, I started. I had I had written this little tiny book called Investing for Beginners, and uh, after getting embarrassed on stage, having to speak after a now famous uh, Harry Dent, uh, I realized that I should probably pick a topic that was a little bit easier for me to to wrangle. Um, so I ended up really thinking and asking myself, well, what what is it that I wanted to do? And back then I was very, very into the consulting game. And there was a guy out, out there by the name of Howard Shenson, who was a mentor of mine. And he was doing seminars on the West Coast about how to start and build a consulting business. So I said, well, let me start to do my own self-promoting events or self-promoted events on the East Coast, doing basically what he was doing, I almost virtually copied his ads I should have been in jail for copyright infringement having taken most of my stuff but he he didn't mind and I just was spreading the word about him and sold some of his products there so I, I got started, you know, promoting my own events, putting ads in newspapers getting people to show up and then selling them a bunch of stuff at the back of the room each time and it worked out really well.
1: So have you always been a, a platform seller or have you ever been a keynoter?
2: Have you done both? Yeah, I consider myself to be a trainer and a platform seller. I try to give people a lot of useful information and in the process convince them that what I have to sell is worth buying when I offer it from the stage. But my success at any event I speak at is always measured in terms of dollars per hour per person.
1: Well, that's the formula that every speaker that truly cares about success needs to make sure that they're measuring. And what are what are some of the other critical factors that you looked at, Fred, in terms of assessing your performance at an event besides just the straight dollars and cents?
2: It's funny because I really don't think there is anything quantifiable. Um, I guess back in the old days when I did work with Career Track, what they used to do is they used to hand out evaluations. And I was always obsessed as, you know, at one point, hoping to become a professional golfer, getting to be the best golfer in this country, which really didn't mean crap in the United States. (laughs) And uh, so what happened, being obsessed with the numerical side of the game, I always thought first about the dollars generated, but then also with those evaluations within any topic that I was speaking on, I wanted to be at the top of what the audience thought was good by looking at those evaluations. And of course we had kind of like a leaderboard and I always wanted to be at the top of each of the seminars that I was doing. So when you speak at a multiple
1: speaker event and you've obviously spoken at hundreds or more of them. So yep. when you're assessing if an event is the right stage for you,
2: what kind of criteria are you applying to determine if that's a stage you should be on? I think it's primarily two things. I think it's a good question, which is number one is, is the audience an ideal target market for what I'm trying to eventually wanting to get them to buy? A, and B, have they shelled out enough money to be at this event that they've pre-qualified themselves to now be involved with buying some of the things that I want to sell? So are they the right people and do they have the money, basically? Sure. So- Again,
1: you've been at this game for a long time, Fred. What do you think maybe your, let's say, two or three biggest keys to success have been to build a speaking career that's been profitable for you?
2: Well, like I alluded to earlier, I think that in my case, those three biggest items would be a background in improv. Uh, Did improv for many, many years in New York City and loved it. It's the most fun you can have, you know, uh, standing up. And uh, that'd be number one. Number two is an understanding of what I'm there for, and I'm there to sell nothing else. And third thing would be condensing my message, my third biggest key to success, condensing my message into easily digestible and usable pieces so that people can actually go away and feel like they got something of value out of it because later on, then they'll come back to me and think to themselves, well, of all the people we saw at that event, that's, that's the guy, he's the guy that gave us the most you know, usable you know, digestible, delectable pieces of information. So what do you think the proper
1: split between content and sales portion of a presentation should be?
2: You know, I think that for the most part, uh, your content is setting you up for your sales message. I think that if you were going to be doing percentages, it's got to be at least 80 to 85% content. But the question is, As you're giving content, you're also embedding a sales message so that as I'm talking about an experience that I had with somebody who I now call partners, not clients, I can give a story or an example, which then lets people know that one of the things that I do and that I do now exclusively is I partner with people in a deal where we share the net profit. So I think you can embed those stories, get people thinking about it and have delivered great content for 85% of the message. Then when you get to the sales pitch, you're now able to pitch them because you've delivered good content. I I really think it's tough for people to try and sell people on anything unless you first convince them you know what the hell you're talking about. Sure. So you mentioned storytelling. How important do you think
1: storytelling is to the success of a speaker?
2: Yeah, I think that storytelling basically allows people to create pictures in their minds about any topic. And I think the the most famous one I can think of is years and years ago. I used to try and illustrate, um, this is back when I first got started, and I would come up with these different ideas to try and encapsulate a thought or an idea. And the most effective one I had, which I think is an example of one of those stories, is I would say to people, trying to impress upon them how important their knowledge was that they had in between their ears. And I'd say, imagine right now, inside your head, you know, I, I I would start out the story by saying, I'm a big fan of Tom McCann. This is like the shoe store, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of Tom McCann. And uh, you know, if you, if you've ever walked into one of these stories, well, I want you to imagine for a second that inside your head right now, there are racks filled with tiny little, do you remember the story? Well I, remember, well, I mean, you're painting a picture okay. and I'm, I'm going right along with the picture, man. Okay. So no, I thought maybe you heard it. Um, And so I would say inside your head, there's a rack filled with lots of tiny pairs of little shoes. And this, this event, by the way, of this seminar or this piece was all about showing people, you know, their value as a consultant and what they shouldn't give away for free. And I, I said, every time... You, you you inside your head you've got those racks filled with tiny pairs of shoes like i said every time that someone tries to shake you and dislodge some of your inventory which is your knowledge those little shoes start to fall out of your ears and your your prospective buyers of those shoes are now collecting them and getting them for free <laughs> and so i think that when you illustrate something you know, it's great to be a great storyteller, but it's got to be tied into what it is you're trying to tell people about in terms of your content. Because if not, you know, just telling stories for the, the sake of telling stories. Uh, I mean, I, I know there are people out there that make their living, living as storytellers. <clears throat> That's not what I do. I'm trying to sell someone something, but the stories do facilitate the sales of the material.
1: So you're the second person I spoke with this week, Fred, who talked about improv being a big part of their success or whatever. And and I mean, the whole thought of improv, frankly, scares me to death or whatever. So
2: wait, wait, wait. who's that other imposter talking to you about that? Who was that? That was Bart Baggett does improv. Okay, Uh, I know him. So anyway, so how
1: does one even investigate that world if they think that's something that can help them become a better speaker?
2: Yeah, good question. Well, in in virtually any city of almost any size, there will be whether it's a meetup group or at a a, a theater club. That, you know, there's something called theater sports. There will be these improv groups that form, and it really is. It's not only extremely beneficial for the aspiring speaker, but it's a lot of fun. And so, I would encourage anyone, you know, to get started doing or taking an improv class, regardless of the level it's at, because it's a lot of fun and it can't do anything but improve your speaking ability. There's probably virtual classes on that now, I would guess. There are. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's still up there. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, this an Indian American guy named Avish Parisher and myself put together a site years ago that I think the last time I looked, it was still up called Improv for Everyone, in which we showed some examples of improv and and some exercises that we use as improv artists. Uh, again, Avish is much more of an artist than I am. I'm kind of a you know wannabe. <laughs> well, I remember that product. We actually fulfilled that product for Avish.
1: So Ah nice. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears slightly here. I'll, I'll throw you a curveball a little bit, Fred. So you've done your own events. So we talked about some of your successes as a speaker. What do you think maybe you're, the keys to success to
2: being a su- successful event promoter are? Interesting. Uh, I think the biggest thing is a massive list of avid fans and buyers. I mean, with without a big list of people, your chances of filling an event are virtually zero. Because you've got one of two choices when you're filling an event. You either fill it with people who are already on your list Or you fill it by paying for advertising, which can be a huge money suck.
1: Okay. All right. Well, those are some great tips, Fred. And I have a couple questions I want to ask you about mistakes maybe you've made along the way. But before we do that, let's take a quick break.
0: Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to breadridgway.com forward slash freebie.
1: And we are back with my guest, Fred Gleek on the Spotlight on Speaking show. And as I mentioned before the break, Fred, I want to talk about some mistakes maybe you've made along the way so that hopefully the aspiring speaker can avoid making their same mistake, same mistake. So what might be at the top of your list on the stupidest
2: things you've ever done as a speaker? Now I've got one that immediately comes to mind. Uh, I once got into an argument with one of my seminar attendees in front of the rest of the people in the room. Bad move. Uh, even if you win an argument with someone in the audience, you look like an idiot. The audience never sees it as a fair fight. So the last you can do, especially if you're sitting up higher on a dais, you mm-hmm. you know, you're you're already up above the person you're now arguing with. And it's just not perceived as a fair fight. So just don't do it. So aside from yourself, what maybe are some stupid
1: things you've seen other speakers do that you said you just shook your head in amazement and said, what a what a doofus for doing that type of thing.
2: Yeah, I can tell you, uh, I, I remember this and I don't know if you were at this event or not, but I was at an event once where a speaker went 20 minutes past their allotted time. Uh, you want to never get invited back to speak to a group, do that. Uh, and you want to get shunned and hated by all the other speakers do that.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's a big no, no for event promoters. And I, and the example that I saw, maybe it was the same one you saw Fred, but, uh, that same speaker then, because he wasn't happy with his sales, begged the event promoter to let him get up and do another pitch from the stage, which is like, oh, geez, give me a break. So yeah, exactly. I'm with you on that 100%. All right. So we're coming near to the end of our time together. So any, any final words of wisdom, Fred, and how can people get
2: involved in your world if they want to know more about Fred Gleek? Okay. Well, first off, um, as a final word of, I guess what I should do, of course, is to give you how to get in touch with me first before the final word, because now we we keep you we keep you here. Okay. Um, Exactly. So uh, my my latest uh, project that everybody can read more about. I mean, I I changed my model up. You know, about twelve years ago, I used to do these. I got so sick and tired of people at these large events that you would, you know, dutifully. uh, sit in the back of the room and sell people 's products and and do that for the for the speakers, which was great by the way um, but what happened was I got so sick and tired of buy- people buying my material and not doing anything with it that I switched my model to having people come to my house in Vegas for a week and i 'd train them on a system they 'd leave knowing how to do it and After I did that for a number of years, I found they still wouldn 't do anything so now <laughs> my model my my model revolves all around all you know it's all around partnering with people. So there is no deal that I do anymore. And I've done this for the past 12 years where I partner with subject matter experts in an equity arrangement. And thus the place where they can find out more about that is there's a, a group on Facebook, but they can go to dynamic equity It's dynamic equity coaching, all one word.com. And they can find out more about what it is I do and what my model is. And the nice thing is, Um, anyone who thinks I'm going to try and twist their arm and trying to get them to buy something is on the wrong track here because I only can really add maybe two additional, what I call partners a year. So if it, if it's a good match, you'll know it, I'll know it. And if not, Hey, well, thanks for coming by. So, so that's, that's the place dynamic equity coaching.com. Now, as far as final words of wisdom, Brett, here's what I would say. People can smell fake. Don't try to be anything or anyone whom you aren't. People won't believe it. And no matter what kind of speaking you do, you won't have great results. Also, remember that less is more. It's not how long you're on stage, but how many people will remember and implement the suggestions you give and advice you give while you're on stage. Was well, such great advice, and you've always been a straight shooter in, in
1: my world, Fred, and, you know, tell people how it is and, and don't sugarcoat it or whatever and, and give them what they need. So I so appreciate you joining me today on the Spotlight on Speaking show. If you haven't been there, go to SpotlightOnSpeaking.com and register so that you can be notified of upcoming episodes. And I also would encourage you to hop on over to BrettRidgeway.com and pick up your copy of my special report Three key things entrepreneurs must master to build a profitable speaking business. So, again, thank you so much, Fred. Everybody, have a great week. In fact, make it a great week. And my best wishes to you for success in all that you do. Take care.
0: This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week. Thank you for tuning in and remember to visit our website at SpotlightOnSpeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight On Speaking show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.